Psalm 74 again this morning. Psalm 74, and can I remind those who don't be here that often, some with children, that there's a crash there. Uh, over across in the barn, there's a screen there, and it's warm, and there's a room there just in the, uh, at the back at the cry room there, and you're welcome to take your children there if you wish. We're turning to Psalm 74, and uh, repetition is the art of learning, and we're going to read the same verses as we read the last two Lord's Day. We're not going to get finished with this psalm because Barclay's here next Sunday morning, but we will take it up again because we are not finished with it. It's a great psalm, and it has much to say to us as the Lord has been saying to us from it in the past days. So we're at Psalm chapter 74, and we're at the verse 1. And this is the, the psalm with the ominous O's uh, that he cries out, questions asked, and answers given in the last part, which we will not touch this morning. Verse 1, O God, why hast thou cast us off forever? And that was the great problem that the psalmist had. If it was going to be forever, that was the problem that he had. Was this going to be all that there is? Is this going to be the end of it? But thank God it's not. Why doth thine anger smoke against the sheep of thy pasture? The judgment of fire of judgment, the smoke was already beginning for the fire to fall, not on the world, but on his own people. It's incredible to think that the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, would turn on his people with wrath. But that has been the way it has been in times gone past and will be and still is at times until the people of God call and cry to God because of their sin. And then in verse 2, Remember thy congregations which thou hast purchased of old. Goes back to the, he goes back to the exodus and what God done for them, bringing them out of Egypt. The rod of thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed, the Passover lamb. This Mount Zion, the temple, the house of God, wherein thou hast dwelt. Lift up thy feet. In other words, come and run quickly, Lord, to us. Lift up thy feet unto the perpetual desolations. Even all that the enemy hath done wickedly in the sanctuary. The enemy's within. He's not from without. The problem always has been with the enemy within more than the enemy without. Thine enemies roars. Only the lion that roars like this. The lion is the adversary. Thine enemies roar in the midst of thy congregations and set up their ensigns, their signs for our signs. A man was famous according as he had lifted up axes upon the thick trees. Let me just stop there a moment. We've read this verse here, now this for the third Sunday, and I'm sure you wonder about that verse. Uh, that's a powerful verse of Scripture. Do you know that there were 30,000 men involved in the building of Solomon's temple? 
And we, we believe that that's uh, the context here. It's Solomon's temple. 30,000 men were involved for seven years. Men labored with the sweat of the brow. And there's a, if you look at that verse, uh, a man is in italics, so it means that men were famous, great men, with their axes, cutting down the cedars and the palm trees. And uh, hard work, hard work getting the temple built and getting it in, into business. And I think that's what grieves the psalmist more when we read the next verse. But now, but now, and my friend, we can spiritualize that this morning. Great men in past days have labored for the word of God. They've labored for the gospel. They've built up uh, doctrines and truth that has fallen around us in these days. But now they break down the carved work they're off at once with axes and hammers. They've cast fire into the sanctuary. They've defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They burnt up all the synagogues of God in the land. Of course, the Muslims are taken over big time in England and Scotland and in Wales and here too eventually. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet. Neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? And here's the key verse of the, of the whole chapter. Why withdrawest thou thy hand? Even thy right hand, and the right hand speaks of power, pluck it out of thy bosom. Pluck it out of thy bosom, for God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. And we know the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Let's bow in a moment's prayer, please. Father, we thank you for the prayers that have already ascended. We thank thee for the call of God to thee this morning for help in this sanctuary and to bring this message to the hearts of the people. Thou must increase and I must decrease. Uh, Lord, accept Jesus alone is seen and heard, then we are in vain this morning. Speak, Lord, we pray, with a voice that wakes the dead. Minister into our hearts and into our souls. For we ask it in the Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen. Peaks and troughs, hilltops and valleys, highs and lows have always been the norm of the Church of Jesus Christ down through the centuries. Boyed up on the Christ, crest of the wave with revival blessing, and then down into the depths of despair at times. And you know, I was thinking about this much during the week. It's the same with the rough and tumble of all our lives. A day can start on the crest of the wave and it can end in deep sorrow. 
A week can start in great joy and blessing and can end in tragedy and trial. A month can start well and can end and end badly. And a year can start with mighty blessing and end with mighty blastings and in trouble. It's familiar to all of us, isn't it? This moment in the West, Western Hemisphere, and certainly in England, Scotland and Wales, and in this land of ours, the church, the bride of Christ, is on an all-time low. She is in the trough compared to where she should be and could be, and I believe will be, one day very soon. Her garments at the moment are blotched and spotted and defiled. The beloved groom has departed. He has withdrawn into hiding, as we read in this text. And it seems to a measure that we're just carrying on in our own steam and our own flesh. And I'm not talking about here, I'm talking about the evangelical church in, in Ulster. Ruth Causey's father prayed, Brian Annett prayed years ago. I remember, I'll never forget it. In this house, he says, Lord, deliver us from the intensive care unit. And you know, I've often thought of that, that the church is struggling for survival. We're fighting for life day after day. We're wholly depending on the plasmas and the drips and the tubes and the catheters and the machinery and the technology and the ingenuity of men. My, wife, my daughter Claire brought me a book on revival for Christmas. One of the books that I never had. It was only recent printed. And there in that book I read a statement that latched on me too. Where the man in the book says in Scotland and in, uh, in England and Wales and I think refers to here too that the church is very badly dehydrated. And of course if anybody's dehydrated the first thing you have to get for them is water. And the church is dehydrated and the only thing that's going to cure the low and going to bring her to a high is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God upon her. The life in the water, the Spirit of God, the living God, the first rain and the latter rain. And that's what we're praying that will come to us. But I want you to take solace this morning that God will never switch the machine off. And he'll never allow anybody to switch the machine off either. Because he has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And one day he's going to present his church, a glorious church. And he's going to present it without, present it without spot or wrinkle one day, holy, clean, and powerful as the bride of Christ. When we all get home to the glory and there'll be a multitude that no man can number. But he does allow, and it is the normal, he does allow the church to exist in a weak and sickly 
helpless condition. Because unless he brings the church there, they can't cry out. And that has been the pattern of the church down to the ages. And you just have to read the seven churches of Asia Minor that our Lord said to us in Revelation to discover that. Also in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, whenever the people went down into a low, time and time again they did, and every time God raised up a judge, he raised in the power of God. When they were barren enough, when they were broken enough, when they were bewildered enough, he sent a, a move of the Spirit amongst them. When they cried out and repented, God came and revived them again. But thank God this morning that the whole body, politic, and family of the church are not in intensive care. We must make that very important this morning. Because when somebody's in intensive care, and, and if the church to a measure is in that state, in that helpless state, that state where it seems, and, and I've been very brunt this morning, where it appears that God, in a sense, has withdrawn from the assemblies of God's people. And the only reason that I can say that is because I compare it with the church in revival blessing and the early church and in the centuries gone past. It's nowhere near what it was or anywhere near. There's no resemblance. And unless we face that this morning, unless we stop going on and going through the whole motions and motions and motions and start doing what the psalm is doing here, inquiring what's wrong, and when we find what's wrong, put it right. That's the only hope. We have to put the surgical, the, 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 the scalpel in and cut out what hinders and what, what restricts it. He does allow us to exist in that, but... And everybody's not in intensive care. And if you have a family friend in intensive care, and I hope you have, and I've been there with my family, and I've been there with many patients out of this place and seen some dying in it even. But they're not all there, and the family's there uh, at the bedside, and the family's at home, and the family's praying, and the church is praying. And thank God for a, a remnant of people in this house who are praying, who are praying for the church. Praying that revival will come, that the dehydration will end and the blessing of God will come upon us. And thank God for the prayer meetings that we have here. I, I, I was saying to these men, there's nowhere I'd rather be and there's nowhere where most of these men that come on Monday night and Wednesday night would rather be in any meeting than in the prayer meetings. Oh, what blessed times we had last Monday. And last Wednesday, I just long for tomorrow night. Because we need to pray and we need to cry and howl between the porch and the altar that God will breathe once more upon us and revive the church and take us out of this terrible, terrible trough that we have got ourselves into and we have got ourselves into it. Now, this is what, this is what Asaph, the servant, the psalmist, is doing. And I'm trying to bring this out of this psalm for the third Sunday morning. Because this, the psalmist sees here that, they, that the people of God were in a sickly forsaken place. The Lord had withdrawn his hand. He is hidden from them. And the cry went out, Oh, why, why hast thou done this to us? 
You see, the enemy came in to the temple. If this is the Babylonish captivity, and I believe that it is, then threefold enemies attacked the house of God, Zion, the people of God, and took them into 70 years bondage. A threefold enemy. And they allied together against Mount Zion. And they attacked them with fierce ferocity. Do you know if you read the story, it's awful. They burnt their vineyards, their olive yards. They seized their herds and their flock. They killed the farmers and raped the women and took them hostages into captivity. Look at verse 4. It says, They roared like a lion in the midst, and they pulled down all the Jewish signs, the ensigns, the flags, the banners, the emblems, everything that had to do with the religion of Jehovah, they pulled it all down. Verse 6 says, With hatchets and hammers, they smash and they break the house of God. They attacked the ark. They attacked the altar. They hacked to pieces the table of showbread, the lavers, the candelabras. They pulled the curtain down into the holy place and they set it on fire. And while they were doing, they blasphemed and they mocked. This was a satanic attack. Look at verse 8, what it says in verse 8. They said to in their hearts, this is not vandalism, you know. This is not a, some boys vandalizing. This is, this is a, an inbred hatred in the hearts of these people for the house of God, for Mount Zion, and for the word of God. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They burnt up all the synagogues of God in the land. That's exactly what's going on this morning. You know, the raid of the Hamas into Israel on the 7th of October was nothing new. The Jews down through the centuries have been suffering attacks like that by evil and wicked enemies who want to destroy Israel and destroy the people of God and destroy the things of God. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Pharaoh tried it when he tried to destroy all the newborn babies when they were born in Egypt. And right down through the centuries, Haman and Herod, now the Hamas and Hezbollah and Hitler and the Houthis and all the whole crowd of them are all bent. And, and my friend, in the heart of the hearts of every Palestinian and every Muslim is the destruction, the destruction of the Jewish nation. And is the destruction of God from about the earth. And we have to face up to that. We're facing an awful and a wicked foe. Their hearts, it says, their hearts are against it. Let me say a wee personal word of application that might be of help to us this morning. As these threefold enemy attacked the temple and went right into the holy place, and blasphemed and destroyed and set on fire the house of God. Remember what Paul says. Paul says this, Know ye not that your bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, as we should be this morning, then we will be hated. 
then we will be attacked by the world and we'll be attacked from within the church. I'm talking even the evangelical church. If we take a stand for God, for these old truths that we're going to bring out as we close this morning, if we take a stand for these old truths, we're going to be hated. And if you're not hated, then you're not witnessing for God. We're not what we should be. It was their own fault that this happened. It wasn't God's fault. It was their own fault. And if we don't guard and discipline the temple, our bodies, if we don't look after our spiritual being by reading the Word and by fellowship with God's people and by uh, the prayer and taking time and disciplining ourselves every day, the enemy will attack and he will bring us down. And he'll leave us that we'll have no desire for prayer, no desire for the table, no desire for the meeting. There's a threefold enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we're hammering, they're hammering at us every day. The world from without, the present evil world, Friend, you haven't too far to walk or too far to look until you're attacked by the world. The world is the external enemy. And the flesh is the internal enemy. The things that we do, we don't want to do. And the things that we want to do, we don't do. And there's a battle going on in the flesh every day of our life. And you know it and I know it. It is a battle. It is a battle with the television. It's a battle with the internet. It's a battle all the way. There's a battle of lust. There's a battle of pride. There's a battle of the flesh. And when the devil can't damn our souls, he can destroy our witness and our testimony and our ministry. The world is the external enemy. There's a godless world out there this morning that cares nothing for the things of God or the people of God. And we're supposed to be separated from the world and we stay separated from the world. Many of God's people dress like the world. They look like the world. They talk like the world. There's no difference in them. God help us. The world is external. The flesh is internal. And the devil is the infernal foe for he would destroy us if we could. Now, as we saw in the last two weeks, Asaf was not prepared to sit in the waiting room in an intensive care ward. He wasn't prepared to say, this is too bad. This is very sad, the way things have gone. He wasn't prepared to say this is the way it is and this is the way it's going to be and we'll batten down the hatches and we'll say nothing and we'll do nothing and it'll soon be all over and we'll be raptured into the glory and we'll have, a, we'll, we'll have crowns, the five crowns. Forget it, my friend, forget it. There's a battle to be fought and I hope you're in the battle. So he set about an invest. He went into investigation mode. We, we can't recap on this. He went into the investigation mode, and he uh, he began to God. He says, "Why, why, why has all this come to us?" And then he went into the lamentation mode. The ominous oaths were, 
was a five O's. He cried, oh God, oh God. And then last week we saw the recognition. He says, Lord, will you not remember? You brought us out of Egypt. You redeemed us. You blessed us. Are you going to leave us? Are you going to forsake us? We went right back to the, he went back to the Passover. He went back to the blood. He went back to the cross. He went back to the original. He went back and cried unto God. Now this morning, I have 15 minutes. And this morning is the application. How do we apply this spiritually to our own lives and the life of the church? Well, before I do that, there's something I need to say. Something very noticeable, admirable, and very applicable. Now, if you get this this morning, what I'm going to say, the Lord showed me this very clearly. The only concern that us have had and the people of God had was for the house of God. It was for Zion, for the sanctuary, for the temple, for the word of God. There's not one O to do, if you study it, with the physical dilemma, the material secular loss that these people suffered of their sheep of their cattle, the plundering of their crops, the taking of hostage of the people, the scorched earth policy. There's not one word. The whole cry is for the house of God and for the word and the work of God. That's the whole cry down through the south. Why would that be? My friend, I'll tell you why it should be. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if we can get the house of God right, everything else will be right. Do you hear me now? And I read this and thought of this, and I thank God for the faithful remnant of people joined to this church and other churches. We're not the only people that's praying. Who pray and cry and call unto God for revival and a move of God in the church. And that has been the burden of my heart for 50 years nearly. Is God will revive us again. And that's the prayer on Monday night. And that's the prayer on Wednesday night. You don't hear our people here praying for the DUP. You don't hear them praying for the orange or the black or the Masonic. You don't hear them praying for the protocol or the Irish Sea border or unionism or nationalism. No, my friend, you don't. We have been down that way and it has proved nothing. He didn't die for the DUP. He didn't die for the border. He didn't die for the, for, 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 for the, for the nationalism and what we believe. He died. He died for the church. Give himself for the church. And until we get the church right, this is where our prayer needs to be focused. It needs to be focused on the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary and what he has done for the church. He loved me and gave himself for me. He loved the church and gave himself for the church. 
He loved the world. He so loved the world. And if we can get the power of God back into the church again and we start praying for revival, God will deal with the rest of those things. He will deal with that crowd up in storm and if they can be dealt with or anywhere else. First of all, Paul says to write in the Timothy, first of all, what? Placarding? No. Picketing? No. Parading? No. First of all, prayer. Prayer. We'll do anything but pray. But that's where the answer is. The answer is in the power of prayer coming down in the church and no revival. And I have read and studied revivals. No revival have we ever read or studied that didn't wasn't preceded by prayer. It just depends how desperate we need it and how desperate we want it. And that is so. That is so. Now, I said last week that I will touch on the signs, the flags, the emblems, the insigns and signs, and the two words are the same. Insigns and mean flags and emblems, and they've been taken down. This is what the psalmist says. They've taken down our signs, and they've replaced them with their own signs. Now that's a very important part in this message. They set up their ensigns at the end of verse 4 and then on down the talk of it in verse 9, we see not our signs and there is no more any prophet. How sad that is. And I can tell you, my friend, you could write that over many, many houses of God in Ulster this morning that are meeting at this moment. The voice is gone. The prophetic voice is not there. The power is not there. The knowledge is not there. It's gone. It's gone. And because it's gone, we're in the state we're in. You see, they've taken down. The enemy has taken the signs down and put up, and put up their own signs. Replaced them with their own. Now, I want you to hold tight to what I'm going to say in the next 10 minutes. Remember this, that the door and the gate into the temple and the tabernacle spoke of Christ. And this is the first place they would have started with their hammers and their saws, would have been at the door. Jesus says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. There's only one door into the ark. There's only one door into the temple. There's only one door in, my friend, here. Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. All the animal sacrifices came into the door. All the people came in. All the priests came in. Everything that went in had to come in through the gate or through the door. Now listen to this. Four times, the door of the gate was four times wider as it was high. Speaking of the mercy of God, speaking of the grace of God, the gospel of God, 
God said, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. Everybody can come in. The whosoever will may come. Hallelujah. The whosoever will may come. The door is wide open. And if you're not saved here this morning, Jesus says, I am the door by me. If, put a wee ring round the if, if any man, if, if, if ye come in. If any man come through the door, I will receive him. If, if you don't, you can't get in. You can step right in through this door, which is Christ, the living Christ this morning. There's a door that is open that will not be shut until he comes. It's open this morning for the sinner, the whosoever will. The door was open. The door is open. And that door is wide this morning, hallelujah. But in a sinner like me, and countless thousands and millions of others, the door speaks of Christ. But once inside the temple, once inside the door, there was the brazen altar. Sometimes it's called the altar of burnt offering. It was the altar where the sacrifices and the blood was shed and the animals were offered up for sacrifice and the fire burned upon the altar. Now listen to what Sam Carson said in his book on the tabernacle. He says, The door speaks of the person of Christ. And the altar speaks of the work of Christ. And he takes that text, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the person of Christ. That taketh away the sin of the world. That's the work of Christ. And that work was accomplished at Calvary's cross. And that work was finished. Hallelujah. Finished. Redemption's price was paid once and for all and forever for every man's sin. When he had by himself purged her sins, as I often say, I say it again, he didn't need the help of Mary. When he had by himself, glory to God, purged her sin. So that to the altar speaks of the work, the finished work. Do you know what the altar was laid with? It was laid with pure gold, speaking of his deity. It was made of Achaia wood, speaking of his humanity. Wood spoke of his humanity. He was root out of a dry ground. And the Achaia wood was endurable wood, the wood that would last forever. They still, still can find bits of it in those times. My Savior, my Savior's deity and my Savior's humanity are great doctrines of truth. He was wholly harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Glory to God, he was God, yet he was man. He was the pure gold, and yet he was the wood. The person of Christ, the work of Christ, the deity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the eternality of Christ are attacked fiercely and unprecedentedly in these days. That's what I want to get over to you this morning. That's why we couldn't rush the psalm. The hammers... Listen to what I'm saying to you now. The hammers of modernism and liberalism and humanism and Marxism and wokeism and ecumenism are battering, are hammering at the door of the doctrine of his deity and his humanity like never before. 
hellish men with their axes on the pulpit are cutting to pieces the Word of God. They're smashing the great doctrines of truth that the early church was founded on, that men martyred at Smithfield and the Covenanters died for and thousands of Anabaptists died for, for the truth. They're smashing it all around and we're letting it happen. And there's a weak and sickly church out there this morning and there's a weak and sickly pastor and ministry out there this morning that couldn't care less. They're more concerned about their cruises. They're more concerned about their holidays. They're concerned about their holiday homes and their pensions. Oh, you say that's rough talking. You've found and heard nothing yet. Oh, God, we're in a sad day when there's no voice and there's no prophet. When they're hammering at all the great truths of God's word and we're letting it happen, making a laughing stock of the church. Every attack they can get is on the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, the door, the door, the door. They're hammering at the door. They have to get the door first. Not to talk and when they got into the candlesticks and into the holy place, they wrecked it and set it on fire and blasphemed it. You don't tell me that the church is in a healthy state this morning. You do, there's something wrong with you. Apostles' doctrine. We have to build ourselves on the early church, on the apostles' doctrine. What was the apostles' doctrine? The apostles' doctrine was good news of the gospel. The apostles' doctrine was repentance. Listen to what the apostles' doctrine was. Fellowship, membership, baptism, the breaking of bread and prayer. That was the, that was the foundation of the early church. And once we get away from the foundations, if the foundations be destroyed, what will the righteous do? Run? David says, run? It's all that we can do, my friend. Run. We have nothing else to stand on if we don't stand for these old truths. If we let them do what they like with Christ and mock them, We must engage the enemy. We must engage it with holy lives and with prayer. We must stand fast in these last days of time and cry unto God. And when we come down, when we do it, will not be next week, when we come down to the end of this psalm, we're going to see a mighty move of God's spirit work. Simply because the psalmist took a stand simply because he wouldn't allow things to go on the way they were going, simply because he had these great five, one, two, three, four, five, six O's, oh God, you'll have to come quickly. Lift up your feet, Lord, and come. Oh, friend, that's the cry of my heart this morning. Because I know out there, I know out there this morning and up there this morning there's a power yet to be unleashed that will shake the gates of hell and breathe revival into the church again once more and lift us out of this trough that we've got down into this old 
dismal place that we've got into. We come where we want and we'll not come the night if we don't want and we'll not come to a prayer meeting. Oh, God help us. I'm just so busy with the world. I'm so busy with the work. I'm so busy doing the things of time. Yet I'm supposed to be a child of God. I tell you what you would do. You'd be far better doing. Denounce it all together. Do you hear me? Denounce it all together. You're either a child of God or a child of the world. Don't be calling yourself a Christian and a child of God if you can never come round this table or you can never come to a prayer meeting. It's a nonsense of the highest order. My heart's full this morning. Because my heart's heavy this morning. And I thank God for the people that we have. And I thank God for the burden that we have. And I thank God that we have no tags over the door. I thank God that we're open to the Holy Spirit. We're not following men or doctrines or congregations. We're following God. And he has promised on One of the words the Lord gave me when I came out here, and he gave me many words, and every one of them proved to be true, and the rest of them are going to come to pass. He says, you'll be raising up a place in the hill, in the river, in the valley, and it'll be a place that people will be able to come to from every background. There'll be nothing hindering them. There'll be no flags or tags up over the door saying you're this or you're that or you're other. But you'll have a place open to God, a lifeboat, to rescue the perishing and care for the dying and snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. And that's the job of the lifeboat. And our job is to stand for these old truths. And don't let them flinch. Don't let us flinch from them. This place could be packed this morning and three places this size could be packed this morning if we would have twisted and turned and tinkered about with the Word of God. I'm telling you that. But because we stand for the truth, the blood, the cross, the Christ, repentance, the second coming, these old truths that built the early church, these old truths that men labored with their axes and with their hammers, men that made the thing great and powerful, they'll turn in their grave when they see the state of the church this morning and it's our fault. Their fault. They served their generation well. Are we going to serve our generation well? And when we get to the glory, he'll say to each one of us, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I've unburdened my heart. We'll come back to the psalm some other time.